Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Rich, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. Thanks for for joining us live um, on our online platform. If you're not sure you're in the right spot, because we are... um, broadcasting in a lot of different places. The best place to be to enjoy our service live is onelifeseattle.org forward slash live. And there you'll find our chat line. Um, There's also a note section, a Bible app. Uh, We highly encourage you to use um, during our time together. Um, Today we are diving into week eight of a sermon series Uh, called Hearing God Today, which is a study of um, this incredible book called Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. And today, in part, we're going to be looking at one of the most controversial verses in the New Testament, but in part. um, Together, altogether, the text that we're going to look at today is sure to challenge us, um, to make us think. And Um, So today, as always, I want to invite us to open our time in prayer, uh, to take a few deep breaths, to clear our minds and hearts so that we're able to hear and respond to what God has to say for us today. Um, But before we do, if you want to grab your Bible, we're going to be starting with Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, or if you want to use that app, you can do that as well. Chapter 5, verse 11 of Hebrews. But let me open us with prayer. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you that you are with us as we celebrate celebrate Trinity Sunday. We recognize um, you, Father, Son, Spirit, uh, present with us. Uh, Thank you that we can have a relationship with you and that you communicate to us and that we can hear from you and be led by you and empowered by you. And so God, today as we enter this time, we pray that you would help us to hear from you We have a lot of things going on in our world that have filled our hearts and minds and souls. But Lord, today, at this moment, we want to hear specifically from you. We want to learn from you. And not only that, God, we want the strength to respond in obedience to whatever it is you call us to. So we ask that you would do that. You'd meet with us and be with us. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, before we get started, I want uh, to show you my basic breakdown uh, for the entire text that we're going to be looking at today, because I think as we begin, it's going to help us engage with what's really going on. But first, we need to remember what's happened in the book so far. The author has been powerfully speaking to us about Jesus, the exact representation of God, who is the eternal word of God in the flesh. We've learned about our salvation and how it's only in Jesus and that we were challenged not to drift away from it. We learned how in Jesus becoming one of us, all followers of Christ belong to the family of God that we're not alone. We learned about true rest and it's only available through Christ. We learned about God's faithfulness perfectly fulfilled in Jesus We are challenged in how we engage the active, penetrating Word of God and how it's designed to help us distinguish between good and evil in our day-to-day life. And in, in that, we were led to start talking about Jesus as our great high priest and how God understands us and speaks sympathy over us in our weaknesses and how Jesus enacts his priestly ministry in relationship with us. 
It's out of all this that we've learned that our four movements in the text for today comes. And to get to it, I want us to imagine that we are in like a doctorate program, studying and we're learning about something we're passionate about. We're in the front row of the class trying to soak it all in, but we've been receiving so much content that we're getting tired, we're getting exhausted. Because we've not only just been learning from hearing teaching, but we've been putting it into practice, living this stuff out in our life, in our internships, in our work, in our life for years. And so we're getting exhausted. And as a result, we fall asleep. And the truth is, we started slipping in our efforts. Our grades have started to slip as well. We used to be 4.0 students, but we've dropped to 2.5. And here we are asleep in the front row of the class while the teacher is teaching. So what does the teacher do? And that's what's happening here. It's as if the author pauses, drops a huge book on the table, or does a loud clap, or, or yells, wake up! And so the four movements look a little like this. First, we get a confrontation. Look what has happened to you. Then we get the challenge the challenge is to build on what we know. Then we get this warning. If you don't start doing this, things can happen that are not good, that can't be changed. And then finally, out of all of this, we get this encouragement. You can do this. I believe in you. Now, we've all had moments where we've experienced a movement like this in our life be it from our parents, a coach, a friend, a teacher, a mentor, you name it. And the reason I bring this up is because oftentimes this section of text gets discussed in ways that I think miss the point. So I hope as we dive into this, you can hold on to this movement as you listen to what God is saying. And I want to invite us to imagine God speaking to all of us as if we are in this movement together, that God is trying to get our attention. And so with that, it starts with confrontation. This is going to come from Hebrews 5, which we'll hear in a few minutes. But this text right before this is what Greg taught on last week. It's specifically talking about the idea of Jesus being the great high priest in the line of Melchizedek and how, how God symbolizes with us and understands all that we're going through. And this is basically where they fell asleep in class, if you will, in the front row. Not just one student, but basically the whole class is exhausted. They kind of have this I'm done glazed look on their face. And it's then that the author dives into our section of confrontation. I want you to look and hear what it says as wonderfully read by Mark Wilson Thomas. This is Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. We have much to say about this. But it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Bam. Now... First off, how good does Mark Wilson Thomas sound? <laughs> That's incredible. Um, but we, we have these powerful words of confrontation. It, you feel like there's a level of sarcasm or at the very least this powerful images. Essentially, 
you're acting like babies, right? You're being a bunch of babies. So we should unpack this. To be clear, we need to understand that the people that are hearing this, like us, have not always been immature, but people who have become immature from a lack of effort. They've drifted. And it's not that they've never grown, they've just stopped growing. And if we're being honest, this is still an issue for Christians today, if not even more so. We don't even know how easy we have it in our world. We don't face the kind of persecution that these early believers had to face. And I truly believe that this pandemic has been a tool for God to get us to pause and to call us out on some things. It's like God stopping us all and saying, wake up, pay attention. I want you to hear me speaking to you today. You've become sluggish, that's the word, slow moving. You're no longer really trying to understand or to go deeper. For example, I think God has been challenging us and saying, you've stopped growing in your understanding of the church. You got tired and slow, and in doing so, God has been challenging us to go beyond the thought that church is not a building and it doesn't just happen on Sunday. We all know this. It's not like we didn't already understand this concept, but God has been saying we need to continue to grow in this, to mature in this, to live this out, not just on Sunday, but every day, every moment. Be the church. And I truly believe Our church has heard this and has started to respond in amazing ways. More recently, I believe God paused to challenge us with our understanding of God's word. It's alive. It penetrates. It helps us distinguish between good and evil. It reveals. It causes us to grow and mature. But in many ways, we've been like babies with it. We have hundreds of Bibles in our house and we're not even opening them. We used to be growing in the word and we kind of stopped. It's not maturing in us like it used to. And God's saying there's no static position from God's perspective of a believer. You're either growing closer to God or you're moving away from God. And I think God has been asking us to ponder which direction are we moving Are we moving away from God or are we moving closer to God? And I also want us to notice there's nothing about age here, right? Just because you've been a Christian for 40 years doesn't mean you're more mature. Good example of this. um, I was done with my senior honors math my sophomore year in high school. Meaning when I was done with my sophomore year of high school, there was no more math I could take. It was all done. I was pretty smart in math. I had invested a lot of time in math to get there, but I've basically done zero math since then. So now when my kids who are about to finish fifth and eighth grade ask me for help with math, it's like I'm looking at a different language, right? Even though I've spent way more years doing math than my kids and much higher level math, I haven't done anything with it over the years. I've moved away from it. It's as if I need to go back to the elementary teachings again to be able to understand what they're doing. And in many ways, I think a lot of us treat the scriptures this way. We gave it a lot of attention at points in our life. We learned the foundations. We saw the change in our life. But we kind of got to a point, for whatever reason, thinking we've learned enough. 
We've heard that before. It's not that we stop believing, we just haven't been growing the same way. And so we're being challenged here in our level of maturity. And the author says there's two easy ways to assess whether this applies to you. The first way to assess your immaturity level or not is um, seen in your inability to instruct others. You've been a follower of Christ for years, but you can't really help others. This is a person who, who doesn't know how to point others to Christ or help others grow in their faith. They understand the most simple doctrines, but it's really about taking in and never giving out. And so let me ask you, when was the last time you were in a role of mentoring or teaching or encouraging others in spiritual growth, walking alongside someone as they grow? Because I'm not talking about like a professional teacher. This is a concept for all followers of Christ. And I'd argue one of the best ways we learn and grow is when we teach others. So the idea is that you are able to take the word of God and not just understand it, but apply it and instruct others with what you're learning so they understand it as well. So maybe ask yourself, how comfortable are you at explaining to others what it means to be a follower of Christ? And when was the last time you did that? When was the last time you were in a role in which you were helping others grow in their faith. Now, I think we're all in different places, some of us in this place more than others. There's a second part to the assessment. And the second sign of immaturity is seen in an inability to distinguish good and evil. Ephesians 4, 14, as read then by Mark, says we this. we will no longer be infants, tossed to and fro by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. I just love the way he says cunning craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. It's going to be uh, motivating to me every time. But that's the picture, right? Being tossed and fro by the waves. Let me ask you, how confident are you in your abilities to distinguish good and evil? And to be clear, this good and evil is as defined by God as we see in the teachings of Jesus and our understanding of the eternal word of God, which means this has to do with our understanding of truth. These days, many have a problem with the idea of truth. Some may even say there's absolutely no absolute truth. It's a culture we live in. It's how many people think. So, so truth is what we make it, right? It's based on our comforts and it's on our opinions and our personalities and our tastes, which is all being challenged right now with this pandemic. But this concept here is about how we distinguish good and evil as God sees good and evil. And so by our interactions with the Holy Spirit and our interactions with the word of God, we should be able to do this. We should find ourselves appalled by the evil we see around us not just in thought, but in how we react and how we respond to it, right? And so our understanding and response should not simply be based on emotions, not because our feelings aren't important, but that our feelings should be moved by our understanding of the truth first. We're called not just to be able to distinguish that which is good or evil, but we are called to shed light on that which is dark, 
to bring healing to that which is broken and to help name and live out that which is good, both as an example to others and as a battle against evil, right? This is what we are seeing in our culture right now with the systemic problem with racism and the Black Lives Matter movement. It's not enough to know the difference between good and evil. It's about being able to call it out and to name it and to own it and to shed light on it and to live it out no matter the risk for the goodness of God and to help others live it out as well. And so this is the call out, right? This is the confrontation to us. It's about maturity. It's about growth. It's about our ability to help others grow, to care for others when they aren't being cared for, and our ability to not just distinguish between good and evil, but to show it in the way we live it out in our day-to-day life. Now, after the confrontation, we get the challenge, right? We've been confronted, and now we get the challenge. And this comes from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, And God permitting, we will do so. So after the confrontation comes the challenge. And the challenge is basically saying, build on what you know. And look at the list of what they already know. They know the basic teachings about Christ. They know about repentance from acts that lead to death. They understand faith in God, cleansing rituals, laying on of hands like prayer, the resurrection of the dead. They understand eternal judgment. Let me ask you, could you give clear understanding of what these basics are theologically? For many, this would not be basics. This would be advanced theology, right? This would be a challenge. And the author is saying, don't move away from whatever that foundation is, but build on that foundation. Again, it's about growing. It reminds me, when I was in high school, my legs were pretty strong because I worked on them all the time as a competitive soccer player. I could do multiple reps on the leg press with every single weight there was to go on that. Some of the huge football players couldn't do it. Now, at that point where every weight is on there and I'm doing reps, I have to ask myself, do I want to grow more strength in my legs or not? Because there's always more growth that can happen, right? That was a good question back then. But now, if I got on the leg press, do you think I could still do that? Hopefully you know the answer is absolutely not. Not because I don't understand how the leg press works or because I never could do it before, but because I stopped growing. I stopped building on the foundation. The author is saying, you've stopped learning, growing, maturing, and building off the foundation you had. Things will start to drift and fade away like my muscles. It brings up the image of training and this language of constant use. And so this word maturity in this section literally means perfection, moving towards perfection. Not that we become like God, but that we are consistently showing progress. We're growing, we're maturing over time. In many ways, this becomes 
some of the real evidence that we have a relationship with God. Imagine talking to a couple that's been married for 40 years and they don't know each other's middle name or their birthday or the foods they like or their allergies or what medicines they should be taking or what makes them happy or sad. It would make you wonder if they ever really were married, right? Because we expect those who've been married the longest to show the greatest knowledge and understanding of one another because of all the time they've invested in growing in that relationship over 40 years. So maybe a good question to consider is are we growing the fruits of the Holy Spirit in us over time? For example, are we growing in our kindness and in our love? Are we growing in our joy and our patience? Are we growing in our self-control? How many years have you been a Christian? Do you find growth in these areas? Now, I love that chapter six begins with this phrase, let us. This is a community affair. This is not a process that's done in isolation. It's a product of the whole body of Christ growing together. And this is one of the reasons for the importance of us meeting together, even from a distance like we are right now. It's the importance of core groups. It's the importance of our neighborhood care groups. It's important to be in different ministries that create space for us to serve because in being together, we help each other grow. And so the author says, let us, because we do this together. And so the challenge is that we would do this together, and that is that we would uh, mature in our minds, right? That we would grow in our knowledge about Jesus and that we should be growing deeper in our grasp of the spiritual truths that permeate the scriptures. We should also be maturing in our life. That means that what we learn translates into what we do and how we live. Why? Because immaturity is a guarantee if you refuse to live out the truth that you know. I always talk to people about the difference biblically between wisdom and foolishness. Wisdom is someone who walks into a place and trips and falls, and then the next time they come in, they remember what was there and they move around it so they don't trip and fall over that again. Foolishness is the person that comes in every single time and trips and falls over the same thing over and over and over. We're supposed to be maturing. It should change us, transform us, impact how we see, live, and move in our day-to-day life. We should be coming more like Christ over time. Jesus himself says it in John 14, 21, where he says this. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. In other words, there's a connection to our learning and understanding of God's word and keeping them in practice. So hopefully we get this. This is where things start to get crazy. Now we get the warning. And we've been confronted, right, about our our laziness, if you will, and our lack of spiritual growth and maturity. We've been challenged to remember who we are and the foundations that are there. And we've been challenged to build on them. And now the warning is, if you don't do this, there's things that you could lose that can't be regained. And this comes from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. 
It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to a public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful for those for whom it was farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. In the end, it will be burned. That's where this text gets challenging, right? This section is one of the most controversial, debated texts in the New Testament. Sadly, we don't have time to go into all the various ways to interpret it today. But I think one of the problems with this section is that we often try to input a question here that the author isn't actually trying to answer. And that question is, does this mean we can lose our salvation? Or maybe another way of saying it, how far can I go in my sin before I lose something that I cannot regain? But I actually don't think these are the questions the author is trying to answer if we think about the situation and the context and the story. I think the author is saying that to move towards apostasy, which is this deliberate and complete rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ, means you'll lose something you can't regain. But what is it that we can't regain? Unfortunately, the author remains ambiguous as to the answer, and and that's part of the reason for the huge debate. But the thing we've learned over and over again about this author is that this author doesn't leave things out. This book is literary genius. It's very doubtful. The author just forgot to make this one thing really clear. I think it's written in this way for a reason. And I think the bottom line of this warning is that we can't keep living on yesterday's faith. That our lack of engaging with God over time will result in moral decay. Instead, we need to come and pray as Jesus taught us, right? Give us this day our daily bread. This daily bread is our communion with Christ. Every relationship, if you think about it, in order for it to last and grow, requires presence and participation, connection and engagement. It can't survive over time by holding on solely to the past. The immaturity that is discussed here comes when we neglect the relationship we have with Christ. And when immaturity grows, we begin to have divided loyalties with God and with the world. The loss of sight over time, this drifting is something that happens very slowly. It's a subtle release of effort over time. Allowing the world to pull you in a different direction and it can happen in so many ways, so many little ways. And so the author is saying, if you continue to stay immature, if you stop growing over time, you run the risk of completely losing sight of our great God. And the moment you completely lose sight of God, the one who had no, you had known and been enlightened by, the one spirit you had been empowered by, 
the one you had tasted the goodness of grace, unconditional love and mercy from, once you have completely lost sight of God, this can be deadly, right? Don't ever go there. In a way, the author is saying there are many followers of Christ that live with saved souls but completely wasted lives. Don't waste yours. That's important for us to hear. It reminds me, uh, when I was in college, I had um, a friend who had this super random cow alarm clock. I think it was from China, I don't know, but when, when it went off, it would make this loud cowbell, bing, ding, 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 and then this super obnoxious, moo, and then it would say, screaming, wake up, don't sleep your life away. That's what the alarm clock would do. And this is essentially the warning the author is giving. Don't be immature. Don't be like an adult who still drinks from a baby bottle. Don't be a piece of land that is well watered but never produces anything good. And don't give up on living out your faith in Jesus. This wasted life warning is tied to our obedience to the eternal word of God. Why? Because it's not so much about the root of our salvation, but the fruit of our salvation. It's not so much about whether God will preserve us. Rather, it's about God's desire to partner with us, to bring about true realities of the kingdom of God, both in and through us, in the form of transformation and the renewal of the world. This is why this is a warning to us as Christians. Because if we are constantly ignoring the application of God's word in our life, if we are constantly ignoring God's will for our life, I promise our ability to hear God and our confidence and our salvation, it's going to go down. On the flip side, the more we put our trust in the word of God seen in life application, the more we turn from sin as the spirit leads us, the more confidence we feel in our salvation, and the more people will be drawn in the goodness of the gospel of Jesus on display in our life. In other words, it doesn't really matter how you try to interpret this section except to say, um, that the only way we feel confident in our relationship with God will be to live into and experience the grace of God as you grow and mature in your faith through the ingesting of the word of God and obediently applying it to your life. That's what it's challenging us with. And the idea of growth and maturity could apply in your life in lots of different ways ways, right? There's, we all know our story. We all know those areas where we've stopped growing, where, where we've become immature. And, but I don't think it's a random act that this text lands on us today in the midst of the last two weeks and what we've seen in this incredible movement around our country and around our world and in our city with regards to the problem of racism. I think this text fell on us today because God, in many ways, is speaking to the church as a whole, including all of us. And God is saying, it is not enough to know that everyone is made in the image of God. God is saying, that understanding, 
That's elementary theology. It's foundational. You already know this. You can distinguish evil from good with regards to racism. You can see the video of George Floyd and you can distinguish good from evil. But God is saying, start living this out. Start growing in this. Start maturing in this. Build off of what you know. Wake up and don't waste this. This is how real change is going to happen. And I want to partner with each of you in order to make this a reality in our world for the glory of God. Now that should be a challenge, right? That should be a warning. This is, this is God moving from confrontation to challenge to warning. He's saying we can't waste this. Now, as one of your co-lead pastors, I do want you to hear two things about this. The first is, that this includes me. As all this has been going on, I need to humbly confess to you that I recognize that I am guilty in my lack of ownership of my white privilege and the effects it's had on our society and people of color, but especially... um, our black and brown brothers and sisters. As a representative of Christ, this isn't acceptable. And I confess that to you. And as I've continued to process and lament and to mourn and to pray, I've come to own that I've never really grown and matured beyond the knowledge of seeing the image of God in all people. There needs to be action and application in the way I live and outwardly love, and I feel challenged by that. I'm confronted by that. I mourn that that's the reality that I have to own. And I share that with you as an area that I need to grow and mature in and invite you to pray for me. Don't get me wrong. There's other areas in my life that I need to grow in as well. But I, I find myself fairly lost in just the reality of owning this. Now, the second thing, though, that I want you to hear about this warning is that it includes you as well. Even if you've been a courageous leader in this movement, it still includes you as this is an issue for the entire body of Christ as a representative in our world. There's much work to be done And it will take the working of the Spirit in all of us and the church as a whole to be a catalyst for transformation that's needed. Imagine a body where only the foot grows or only certain parts grow, right? That's not how it's designed. This is something for all of us. This is something for the church. Now, I'm sure if you're anything like me, Like I said, there are other areas that God is speaking to you about with regards to your own spiritual growth and maturity. And I encourage you to share those with others as you consider your application. But I I really believe this is something for all of us. But here's the thing. I personally like to work from the perspective that I have been saved because of the unconditional love and grace of Christ. That's 
my rock solid foundation. And it's out of that that I have joy. Out of that joy of salvation, I have experienced unconditional love and grace of Christ. And it's out of that that I strive to move forward in obedience. In other words, I don't do this out of fear. And I don't think the author is trying to strike fear in all of us either. And I don't think that's how God works. And I think this becomes very clear from our very last section because the author ends this with words of encouragement. So I'd like to you to hear this. This comes from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. Greg, can you hit that slide? Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realised. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherit what has been promised. Amen. What I loved about this last section is that we see the, art, the heart of the author and the intensity of love that she has for those who are hearing this, and I think that includes all of us. The author is saying, I know you all, and I know we are all capable of so much more. I'm convinced that we can bring about so much more of God's salvation and unconditional love for all people into the world. Let us help each other grow, to mature, to be diligent to the very end. That we can see the hope fully realized together. That we can experience all that God has for us in the future together. And so, it ends with words of encouragement. And I hope that as we end, you hear the Spirit speaking you today. Don't give up growing and maturing. I have so much more for you. So much more for this world. You can help bring about the goodness of God in our community as you walk faithfully with me. Continue to do it. Press on in your faith. And we're doing this together. And I hope you will join me with that. I don't know the answers. I don't know what all that looks like. I don't know the process. I do know this. It's not going to happen overnight. And it's not going to be a program. It's going to be transformation of our hearts and our acting out of that transformation. And so hear those words of encouragement of the Spirit saying to you and to us, we can continue to grow, be diligent in this to the very end. Now, I got to stop talking, and I apologize for going for so long. Um, we're going to close. I'm going to invite Brian to come forward. He's going to give us a few moments of music instrumentally so we can kind of let this sit and soak in, um, allow space to ponder what we've heard. A um, couple questions for you, and I'd love to hear from you um, or anything else that sticks out to you. You could use our online connection card to do that. But a couple questions I would love to hear from you about. Question number one, um, what did you hear God saying to you today through this sermon? 
I'm sure you heard a lot of things. I would love to hear what stuck out to you. Number two, what areas of your life do you feel like God is challenging you to grow in? Right, that, that's what we've been confronted with, that we need to grow. What areas do you need to grow in? And finally, number three, how are you planning on responding to what you heard today? You don't want to be the person that keeps tripping over the same thing over and over again. And God is encouraging us that we don't have to go that way. So how will you respond? Feel free to use this space to pray, to confess, to own, uh, to name, to give thanks, to receive, to be filled, to dream, whatever you feel called to in this time. And I also want you to note that um, the prayer live, uh, the prayer app is live. Um, all you have to do is click live prayer and our prayer team is ready to pray with and for you. They would be honored to do so. Um, I invite you to do that. Um, sorry, my technology isn't working, but, but please take advantage of that. I'm going to close our time with prayer and then uh, Brian will give us some space and then we'll sing one last song of response. Let's pray. Oh, Father, Son, Spirit, it's hard to be challenged. It's hard to look in the mirror and name things, to see things in ourselves that, if we're being honest, we know have been there for a long time, but we've just kind of not acknowledged it. God, I thank you that you make space uh, to, to show us your challenging word uh, coupled with your grace and mercy. That in your confrontation and your challenge, you also bring truth and you bring encouragement. And you bring your spirit so we're not alone and we're empowered to do the things you called us to do. And so this morning, Holy Spirit, we confess we need you. We confess that we uh, have much to learn. We have much to learn. And so God, we pray that you would help us to do so and not just be cerebral kind of people, but that the things you're inviting us into would come out in how we live for your glory and specifically for our community right now, um, for our people of color, for our black and brown brothers and sisters. Um, may we know what it looks like to walk with them, to grow with them, and to support them. And may you start with each of us. And when we feel exhausted, when we feel like we're falling asleep at the front of the class. Uh, empower us. Help us not give up. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>